Good morning. Together, let us pray the prayer for illumination. O oh God, our deliverer, you led your people through the wilderness and brought them to the promised land. By your word and Holy Spirit, guide now the people of your church that following your Savior, we may walk through the wilderness of this world toward the glory of the world to come. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Son, our Lord, who reigns and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Here's a reading from Prophet Malachi, the third chapter, beginning at verse 8. Will anyone rob God? You are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. I will rebuke the locust for you so that it will not destroy the produce of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not be barren, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will count you happy, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Here's a reading from the first letter of St. Peter, the fourth chapter. Since, therefore, Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same intention, for whatever has suffered in the flesh has finished with sin, so as to live for the rest of your time in the flesh, no longer by human desires, but by the will of God. You have already spent enough time in doing what the Gentiles like to do, living in debauchery, passions, drunkenness, revels, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you no longer join them in the same excesses of dissipation, and so they blaspheme. But they will have to give an accounting to him who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was proclaimed even to the dead. For this is the reason, so that though they had been judged in the flesh as everyone is judged, they might live in the spirit as God does. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
gospel lesson from Matthew chapter 4, beginning with the 14th verse. Jesus said, For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him out into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Today is the third part in a five-part series through the season of Lent, reflecting on prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness, the five parts of a United Methodist Church member's vow of Christian discipleship. So today we're reflecting upon the theme of gifts. So I want us to think deeply about this as we continue through Lent, and coming up on Palm Sunday, you'll be invited to... Be a holy friend to another church member. This is not a, a, a programmatic approach, but it's more providing the opportunity for people to be connected, um, to relate to each other within the church, to be committed to being in prayer and support of one another. And my hope is that together, uh, holy friends can be paired up and grow in their commitment to Christ in the church. You'll hear more about that in the weeks to come. And again, Palm Sunday will be a chance for you to sign up if you would like to be a part of that. But I want us to continue thinking and reflecting in the spirit of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. 
when he said, you have heard it said, but now I say to you. You have heard it said, but now I say to you. You have heard some other things said about gifts, but I'm hoping that we can all hear something fresh from the Lord today. You've likely heard another sermon about gifts, about the importance of tithing, giving your offering, financial gifts to support the ministry of the church. I'm presuming you've heard that sermon before. If you haven't, let me know, and I'll give you the five-minute version later. That's an important message. Don't forget it. Keep it locked away. There's another sermon about gifts that you've probably heard before that has to do with spiritual gifts, about how the Holy Spirit dwells inside the hearts of believers and amongst us in the community of faith, and through sanctification, growing in holiness of heart and life, amazingly, God brings about giftedness within us being able to have faith, being able to be generous, being kind, being patient. These are virtues that God plants within us and cultivates. And so there's something worthwhile about observing these gifts and talking about how we need to give these gifts relationally. You've you've probably heard that sermon too at some point. Again, if you haven't, I'll give you the five-minute version later. But today, I want us to think about gifts in a different kind of way than perhaps you've ever imagined it during worship. I want us to think about it specifically to an amazing gift that God has given all of us. The building and grounds of the church. So I'm drawing inspiration from Sam Wells. Sam, the Reverend Dr. Sam Wells, is the vicar of St. Martin's in the Fields, Trafalgar Square, London, England, where the whole world seems to be converging in one place. He has developed a perspective that grows out of what this church has learned for the past several decades about embracing commerce in a way that perhaps churches haven't done before. Now, you need to know that Dr. Wells, he's a former dean of the chapel at Duke University. He's a brilliant author, theologian, and preacher. And, and he's drawing specifically from this parable that Jesus tells. After all, the way that we frequently think about finances and resources and gifts within the Christian tradition comes from either one of two themes One, remembering Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler when he said, go, sell everything and give it to the poor. But then there's also that scene from Acts chapter 2 when all of the Christians had everything in common together. But Jesus is telling us something entirely different here in what is actually a decisive chapter in Matthew, the gospel writer's narrative of Jesus' ministry. It's, It's a parable about a person who owned a tremendous amount and before leaving said to three of the servants, here, I'm I'm, going to give you five, I'm going to give you two, and you I'm going to give one. When 
the person returns, what did he find? The person who had five made five more and offered 10. The person who had two made two more and offered four. And to these two people, he essentially said the same thing. It wasn't about the value. It was about what they did with what they received, how they handled the gift. To them, the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little bit. I'm going to give you more. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, as listeners to this parable, isn't that what we want to hear from the Lord? You've been faithful with what you've been given. Good job. In fact, because you've been faithful, I'm going to give you more. Enter into the joy of your master. Meanwhile, here's the person who just received one. What did that person do with it? Out of fear, the person dug a hole in the ground, put it in, hid it, preserving it, thinking that was the right thing to do. Well, when the master observed this, the master did not say, well done, good and faithful servant. In fact, an entirely different message. And that person was banished out, away, in dark, in, into darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's not the message we want to hear from the Lord. So I'm wondering about all of this with regards to an incredibly marvelous gift that we have received. The church building and grounds. I say that we have received it because I don't think any of us were here as adults when this building was built. I know there might be a couple of us who have a family member who was here as an adult, who was a part of the effort, but all of us have essentially received this, much in the same way that we have received the gift of faith. We didn't think up Christianity on our own. We didn't invent grace. We received it. We have received everything here. And so I'm wondering, how is it that we should receive this gift? I'm talking about the sanctuary, the restrooms, the hallways, the drive-through under the port cochere, the music suite, the offices, the storage spaces, the classrooms, the kitchen, the fellowship hall, the stage, the chapel, the playgrounds, each blade of grass out in the lawn. How, how should we receive this gift? Well, if we're going to be faithful to what Jesus says, I think we're going to want to be like the person who was given five talents or the person who was given two talents. Receive it, leverage it, multiply it, grow it for the sake of God's kingdom. Now, I think you can understand, I'm not saying we need a second sanctuary side by side. We don't need a second chapel side by side. No, no, no. How can we leverage this space for the sake of God's glory? You know, we're not the only church thinking about this. Many, many churches, not just locally, but throughout the country, throughout the world. How can we receive this gift in a fresh way? and grow it for God's kingdom.
I mentioned St. Martin's in the Field in London. Let me mention three other churches, all of them also named First United Methodist Church. There's First United Methodist Church in Miami. Several years ago, they realized that their church building, where it was situated, the way it was constructed, was not serving their mission. It's located really close to the water, near a, a place where lots of people like to go shopping and visiting, lots of tourists, right near where the Miami Heat play basketball. They decided to do something revolutionary. They tore down the building, and they're building something new in its place a very tall building. The first several floors are for the church. Sanctuary, fellowship hall, classroom space, offices. And then the most top floors are apartments. Affordable apartments, namely for people who work in that community. As you can imagine, they could go for a really high dollar value. But if that was the case, they would probably get snatched up by people from Venezuela or Russia or other foreign countries, and no one would live there. They would just sit empty. But their vision is to provide a place to contribute to the community, to realize that their neighbors include the people who long to live there, along with the people who run the restaurants and the marketplace. They are their neighbors. So... In the top floors, you'll find teachers, nurses, people who work at the stores. A livable, livable housing arrangement. It's a new vision of ministry for that church. Well, they're not the first church to think about this. In fact, First United Methodist Church in Chicago thought about this about 100 years ago. There they were, located in this prime real estate with skyscrapers being built all around them. So what did they do? They built a skyscraper too. The first few floors include a gigantic, beautiful sanctuary, fellowship hall, uh, a gathering place for people. Again, classrooms and office space. But then three-fourths of the skyscraper at the top, office space, rented out. So think about this. They figured out a long time ago that they could lease out those office spaces to pay for the building and now use the income generated to fund ministry. They call this the Chicago Temple. And right at the very top floor is what they call the Chapel in the Sky. Well, there's another city with a First United Methodist Church that did something pretty innovative. First United Methodist Church of Los Angeles. This church grew to a size of about 6,000 people. 6,000. But then they started to experience things that many cities experienced. People who were living downtown started to move out to the suburbs. No longer did they want to go downtown. People were starting to be afraid of downtown, thinking, let's just be with our own kind safely out where we live. And so what was once this giant, strong, vibrant church, it dwindled in size very slowly through the decades. They finally decided several years ago to sell part of their building, actually tear it down, 
A church without walls. A church without walls. They now have a parking lot and they rent parking spaces during the week. And the income generated from the parking funds their ministry. They have worship under tents in the parking lot every Sunday morning. Now I know what you're thinking, but we're in Salisbury. We're not in London. We're not in Miami, Chicago, or L.A. But dear friends, we are the church. We are the church. When you hear that word church, we ought to think of the people, the connections, the relationships, the way that we support one another, serve together, grow together in God's love. Sometimes when we think of the word church, we think of the building, like I'm going to church. I was recently asked the question, Mark, do you want a clean and pristine church? Or do you want a church building that has um, a little bit of dirt here and there? And my immediate response was, well, I would want a church building that's clean and, and, and pristine, of course, right? Only the best. For God's glory. But then the person asked me immediately after, but don't you want the church to be used? You know, I think about scuff marks on the floor from where children are playing. I think about places along the side of the wall where chairs are kind of knocked to and from as they're being brought in and out of rooms. I think about the building being used for God's glory. How do we receive this gift? How do we turn five into ten? Here's what it involves. It involves thinking creatively by the inspiration of God's Spirit to use this gift perhaps in a way that it's never been imagined before. Now, I've learned about gifts, and maybe you have too. The very best gifts are given with no strings attached. If someone gives you a gift that's conditional, that puts you in a need of being aware. But my sincere hope is that this gift of the facilities and the grounds given with no strings attached... This might mean, thinking creatively, we look at a room and we use it in a different kind of way than it was ever imagined before. Someone might come along and say, well, that's not why that space was built, or we've never used it like that before. That's true. Back in 1955, when the building was imagined, someone didn't think of what we're thinking of now in the year 2023. That is true. It involves imagining space used in a different kind of way. It also involves partnerships. Partnerships with the city of Salisbury, Rowan County. Partnerships with nonprofit organizations. Partnerships with businesses for shared space agreements. But also maybe a partnership with other faith communities as well. This history of our church was put together and published in the year 1983. It's written by Jane Bostian Price, who used to be our church's organist. And she did a marvelous job putting together our church's history. 
Here's what you'll find when you read our church's history. We, starting in 1783, a full year before the Methodist denomination was officially founded in this country. In 1783, up until now, our church has always adapted. Our church has always changed. You know, back in those early days, there was no building. People met in homes, out in the community, public spaces. It wasn't until decades and decades later that the first building was constructed. This sanctuary that we're sitting in now, sanctuary number four. Throughout the years, buildings have been built, torn down. New ones have been built, torn down. It's pretty amazing. All in response to changing contexts for ministry. How are we going to receive the gift and leverage it for God's glory? I want to share something else with you. This is a copy of the church bulletin when our congregation met for worship on December the 6th, 1966. I think a couple of you were here on that Sunday. I'm going to share with you what the senior pastor shared. They're words from the late Bishop John M. Moore, and this was shared with the congregation from Reverend Ralph H. Taylor. Listen to this. May this become the church of our dreams, a church adequate for the task, a church of the warm heart, of the open mind, of the adventurous spirit, the church that cares, the church that heals hurt lives, that comforts old people, that challenges youth, that knows no division of culture or class, no frontiers, geographical or social, the church that inquires as well as avers, that looks forward as well as backward, the church of the master, the church of the people, the high church, the broad church, the low church, high as the ideals of Jesus, low as the humblest human. A working church, a worshiping church, a church that interprets the truth in terms of the truth, that inspires courage for this life and the hope for the life to come. A church of all men, and I would add women and children. The church of the living God. May we continue to live faithfully into this vision today and into our bright future together. Amen.